Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Chelsea have put a dent in Liverpool's title hopes after a dramatic win at Anfield, and it now looks certain to go down to the wire. The bigger picture is that we're still two points ahead. The champions will be City or Liverpool, so we have nothing to celebrate. I always talk to the player, we never give up. Ryan Giggs isn't the chosen one, but could he be the next one? The reception was great. I've, I've walked out of that tunnel so many times in, in big games, and that's the best feeling I've had. You know, I felt 10 foot tall, so proud, and the, the fans' reaction was great, just like it has been all week. And we still don't know which three clubs will be relegated. But are the Black Cats on course to keep their nine lives intact? You know, let's face it, two or three weeks ago, we all condemned them for the championship. But the result against City and then the demolition of Cardiff, I certainly believe that they'll stay in the league. Former Sunderland striker Kevin Phillips joins us to discuss his old club's survival chances, plus his recent retirement following a stellar career. Manchester United legend Brian Robson explains why Ryan Giggs is the right man to turn around the club's fortunes. Plus, we hear from the PFA Player of the Year, Luis Suarez, and Young Player of the Year, Edin Hazard. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Ed Chamberlain and joining me to look back at a pivotal weekend of top flight action is the former Arsenal defender, Nigel Winterman. Hi, Nigel. Good afternoon. Before we start discussing what was another nerve-wracking set of matches, a quick word on the PFA Player and Team Awards that were announced on Sunday. The PFA Player of the Year, Luis Suarez. The PFA Young Player of the Year, Edin Hazard. Any argument there, Nigel? Not for me, no. Uh, Suarez has been absolutely outstanding this season. 30-plus goals, deserved winner. Edin Hazard, exactly the same. I love the way he plays. Powerful runner with the ball and also scored important goals for Chelsea this season. We'll talk more about them and we'll hear from both Suarez and Hazard later in the show. Now, as part of our hashtag YouArFootball campaign, any particular show of sportsmanship on and off the pitch stand out for you this weekend? Uh, well, I loved uh, Anichabi in the West Bromwich Albion game, right near the end there, whipping up that crowd, trying to keep the support because he realised what's happened to his team in recent weeks, giving away late goals. And really, um, Pepe Mel as well, the way that uh, he celebrated, very, very dignified in results at home before that, conceding late goals. So uh, probably those were the two standout moments for me. Right then, one place to start this week, Anfield. Jose Mourinho's Chelsea produced an away day tactical masterclass to overcome Liverpool 2-0. Have they ruined their title dreams? Because Manchester City then followed that up with a 2-0 win against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. The title race, Nigel. Where do we now stand? Who knows? It's just so intriguing. I was thinking before this weekend, if Liverpool could take the victory, the title was really theirs, although Brendan Rodgers didn't want to believe that. A draw would still keep it in their own hands, but the loss has thrown it wide open. But I still think we might find a couple more twists and turns before the end of this season. I will ask you what they might be in just a second. For Liverpool, their 11-game winning streak at an end. It is out of their hands. Let's hear from both managers who clearly had differing viewpoints about the way Sunday's match went. Many people would be expecting us to come here today and lose 3, 4, 5 nil like many others did it. Probably many people think that was impossible to get this kind of results, but the boys, they had a, an amazing performance as a team and I'm so happy for them and so happy for the fans that came here to, to support the team. This is the spirit we want to have always in Chelsea Football Club and the boys did a magnificent performance. But disappointing in terms of result, 
I can only pay tribute to the players. You know, this run that we've been on over this last period has been exceptional and they were clearly the better side today. But congratulations to Chelsea. They won the game. We just couldn't find the breakthrough today. They were obviously sat very deep. I think there was two buses parked today, never mind one. But they get the win and, and unfortunately for us, we just couldn't quite make the breakthrough. They are still top. Let's talk about those tactics. Brendan Rogers there talked about two buses. What did you make of the way Jose Mourinho set his team up? If we look at the Chelsea performance, I thought it was absolutely perfection. A team going away from home, you want to be very, very solid defensively. You want a midfield bank in front of you, but then you need the pace to pick off the opposition when you get the opportunity. And it's exactly how Chelsea played. They soaked up the pressure, and when the mistakes came, they capitalised on those mistakes. So it was perfect. From Liverpool's point of view, what do Liverpool want? For me, when I've watched them this season, they want the game to be open. They want to have their creative players with space to play, and then you want to get the ball into Coutinho and Suarez, Sturridge when he plays, and let those players work their magic. It didn't work for them, but in terms of an away performance by Chelsea, I thought it was absolutely sensational. Brendan Rodgers, Nigel, has named more unchanged teams than any other Barclays Premier League manager this season, eight occasions, but was Sunday where we saw his lack of options, particularly when he looked round at his bench. People will look at that because we're not sure if Sturridge was 100% fit. But if you look at the amount of goals that Liverpool have, have scored, they have a very, very strong team. When you look down the depth, you might say that it needs re-strengthening in the summer. But Brendan Rodgers probably already knows that anyway. Henderson suspended didn't help, of course. Now then, where does this leave both teams' title chances? Let's hear from the two managers once again. These three points, we need one point to finish third. It was a good season for us, it was a good season for the boys. There was an evolution in many aspects of this team. And now, champions are only one, and the champions will be City or, or, or Liverpool, so we have nothing to celebrate. But we can say that we finish if... We, we get the point we need. We can say we finished third and we can say that we won both matches against the champion. The bigger picture is that we're still two points ahead of a team that has spent an absolute fortune and if we win our games or two games left, then we'll finish above them and then we'll see what happens with, with Manchester City. But for us, we achieved our objective of Champions League football. Players have been brilliant. They took the game to Chelsea. We just couldn't find that little bit in the final third and sometimes that happens. Moving forward, let's talk Liverpool first. How difficult a job has he got on now, Brendan Rodgers, picking up his team and picking up his captain after what happened? I don't think it's a difficult job at all because they're very much in this title race still. And what they have to do is go into the next game making sure they win. That's Crystal Palace away because what you don't want is to go into that game and drop more points and then you really have those regrets come the end of the season. Because if, if Liverpool drop points in their last two games, then they definitely won't win the title. But if they win both those games, there's still a very strong possibility that they can take the title. They go to Palace. They've got Newcastle at home, Liverpool left. There was a lovely hashtag football moment at Anfield on Sunday. The Liverpool fans chanting Gerrard's name after he made that horrible and costly mistake. So, Nigel, let's talk Chelsea. Jose Mourinho saying, back in what? He says the champions will be Manchester City or Liverpool. They're the outsiders with the bookies. Why? Even with their victory at the weekend, they've given the advantage, if you like, to Manchester City. So what Chelsea are now hoping is that Liverpool and Manchester City drop points and Chelsea can go on to win the title. So I think Jose Mourinho, he tells us one thing, but he's still hoping deep down that those two teams might slip up and his team can just nip in there and take that title. So they're still in it, although rightly so, they are the outsiders. 
But on Sunday, the door was open and Manchester City capitalised on that defeat for Liverpool and they won a hard-fought 2-0 win at Crystal Palace. They've got the initiative back, Nigel. What do you reckon of their chances now? Do you think there might be another twist? Well, if you throw into their away game against Everton, the rivalry between Everton and Liverpool, and I've listened to some of the comments from the Everton supporters saying that they simply don't want Liverpool, obviously, to win the title. Manchester City still have difficult games to come, but they have a squad and they're getting players back fit that could enable them to go on and win every game. Big players back, the fixtures, Everton away, which you referred to. Then they've got Aston Villa at home in the week. They finish with West Ham at the Etihad. It's in their hands. Win those three and they are champions, possibly on goal difference. The city manager, Manuel Pellegrini, certainly believes the title race is going down to the wire. At the beginning of the season, I said that this was a very close Premier League and the title will decide just one, one point at the end and in the, in the last in the last game. So... We'll try to continue in the same way we play today. A lot of concentration with intensity. Really, Crystal Palace didn't have any chance to score, and we we scored two goals. So it was a very good weekend for us. I always talk to, to the player. We never give up, never, because I think that hope is the thing that you must continue. Uh, thinking that happens, especially in football till the end. So if they win their final three matches, Manchester City will be champions. And as Nigel said a few moments ago, they've got big players coming back at this crucial time. And Sunday's match was effectively won by the returning Yaya Toure, who topped off a man-of-the-match performance with a goal and an assist. To be honest with you, I think uh, full congratulations to the team, you know, because uh, we play we play very well today and uh, we keep calm, you know, because we such an important game like that, you know, because uh, when your, your opponent uh, fell like that, you know, and you have to take your chance. But I think uh, we did very well today. Crystal Palace was not so easy, and I think uh, today we played very well and the, the troop was full deserved. He's back. He's got six goals in his last six Barclays Premier League matches. They might have David Silva back for the Everton game, Nigel. Aguero back to fitness as well. It sounds like you think this is a huge factor. I believe so, because what you need in a squad when you're challenging for the title is players that can make a difference. Yaya Torre, we saw at the weekend, did that. Silva who can do that. Nasri that can do it. Aguero that can do it. So if I was the Manchester City manager, I'd be saying... As long as we can keep stability at the back, I know my creative players can produce for me. And they are back in the box seat to win the title. A word on Palace, the defeat ending a five-game winning streak. However, manager Tony Pulis was full of praise for the Palace faithful afterwards. They were brilliant when things weren't going well, and that was the most important thing. They really, really got behind the team and behind the, the football club. And that's what supporters are for, you know, to get behind you when you're not doing so well. It's very easy, and a lot of people do start moaning and groaning now when, you know, when things are not going well. This lot have really been 110% behind the team and behind the football club. And things have gone very well. Palace 11th, safe on 43 points. And where is Tony Pulis, Nigel, in your eyes in terms of manager of the year? He is the manager of the season for me. Without a shadow of a doubt, where Crystal Palace were what he has done to this football club. Because to play the system that he plays, you have to have every single player buying in to what he wants to try and achieve. Even if Liverpool went on to win the title, I would still say that Tony Pulis, for me, would be manager of the season, manager of the year. He has been brilliant. Now to the other end of the managerial scale, to Old Trafford, where Ryan Giggs began his reign as interim manager of Manchester United in style. An emphatic 4-0 victory over relegation-threatened Norwich. What did you make of his start? A man, let's not forget, Nigel, the most 
decorated ever player. 962 appearances on the touchline at the weekend. What did you think of it? Well, he's the only person that could take over for me in this situation. And he looked the part, didn't he? Very, very impressed with the way that he conducted himself. Let's hear from the man of the moment now, Ryan Giggs. The reception was great. I've, I've walked out that tunnel so many times in, in big games and that's the, the, the best feeling I've had. You know, I felt 10 foot tall, so proud and the fans' reaction was great, just like it has been all week. Um, did I sleep last night? No. Just leaving out players was, was the reason I didn't sleep. It wasn't nice. The teammates of mine, I've, I've never had to do it before and I'll continue not enjoying it as well. So that has been the hardest part of the, this week. I'm just looking forward to Sunderland now and that's it. That's that's where my, my focus is on and, and the concentration, I'm, I'm not looking any uh, further ahead than that. Well, we'll talk a bit more about the new man in charge at Old Trafford. And to do that, we're joined by someone who knows the Welshman well, having played alongside him at the club in the early 1990s. Welcome to the show, Manchester United legend, the club's global ambassador, Brian Robson. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Morning, Ed. Now then, let's go back to the beginning of all of this. Were you surprised that Ryan Giggs was was handed the reins? No, not really. Not not when the club had made the decision, you know, about sacking David Moyes. It was a case of, you know, somebody filling in and taking over the reins for the last few games. So then they can have a good thought about, you know, who's going to be the next manager. And Ryan, you know, he's made it known. He's done all his badges. He, um, he wants to be a manager. And I think he's got the right mentality to be a manager. And, you know, I think it's great that the club have given somebody like himself uh, a little bit of a chance at the end of the season. And let's talk about the game. I mean, I think it's fair to say he looked right and he sounded right as well. Everything he was talking about with regards to Manchester United with words like passion, speed, tempo, imagination. Is that, is that what we saw on the pitch, though? Did he succeed? I think um, because of the season that the lads have had, the first half hour, Norwich had a good shape. They defended very well. And it took United uh, a little bit of time just to get going. But I think what Ryan did, he kept the game open. So he was wanting to play attacking football. The lads took that on board and they kept persevering with it. And, you know, it's a nice time to score just before half time. But with Wayne getting the second goal just into the second half, then everybody could relax and really enjoy the football and Norwich couldn't really offer anything in the game at that stage. But I thought Ryan's substitutions then were really good. You know, he brought Matter on, he brought Hernandez on. He didn't go defensive and just sit back and, and hold on to the 2-0. And that's why United could have maybe scored a few more goals but come out 4-0 winners. So, you know, it was good substitutions by Ryan as well to keep the momentum going. Brian, if um, Ryan wins the four games in charge, does he give the owners a problem in terms of if they wanted to bring in an experienced manager who wanted to bring in all the backroom staff? Because there will then be a big clamour for Ryan to be part of that backroom staff, maybe to bring through to be a manager in three or four years' time? I don't think it gives him a, a major problem because the fans will understand and if the club do go for an experienced manager, Ryan will have his time where he can hopefully work with, within the club if that's going to be their decision. But if they do give Ryan a chance to take on the mantle at the club, then it's like I've said before, I, I think he's got the mentality to do it. But like you say, Nigel, I, I think the problem you've got is when you bring somebody in new and they don't really know the club, as a manager, you always want to bring loads of backroom staff and people who you've maybe worked with before. And I think that's where the problem is. Um, like Mickey Phelan, you, you know, I thought he, he 
could have done Dave Moyes a real good job by staying at the club um, and David taking him on, you know, when he had all that experience behind him with Silex Ferguson. You know, so it can be a bit of a problem, not the new manager coming in, but the amount of staff that the new manager would want to bring in where you know that there's not going to be too much change if Ryan takes over. If we could rewind the clock a bit here, Brian, back to the early 1990s, the dressing room at Manchester United, the youngster Ryan Giggs. Did you think then that one day this kid, if you like, might one day become Manchester United manager? Uh, Well, you never think like that, you know, when Ryan came into the squad. I think the one thing that you could see straight away, though, what a great, strong mentality and uh, a determined character and a winner. And Ryan showed that, you know, when he came into the squad when he was 17. And you've got to remember, he was coming in with strong characters like Steve Bruce, you know, Cantona, Schmeichel, people like N.C. Keeney, uh, and he was coming in, in amongst them. So I think that was maybe a good learning curve for Ryan right from being a kid, and that's why he's had the winning mentality all the way through his career. And how difficult going forward for him, whatever happens, is the magnitude of being Manchester United manager. When you look at everything involved in it, it's a monster, isn't it? Is that all about temperament? What qualities do you need? I think you need to have a strong mentality, a good temperament. You've got to allow things just to go by you, you know. So if you're going to get a lot of criticism, don't worry about that criticism. Concentrate on your job and try to do the best you can. You know, and when I look at Dave Moyes, I think he's a good, honest, hard-working person. And I, I think sometimes you can look at it and you can go, well, did he try too hard? But when you are a manager at a club like Manchester United, because of the size of it, you've got to be a good delegator and you've got to trust in your staff and you've got to trust people behind you to help you out with the job. And I think that's a big part of it. So if Ryan was to get the job, for for me, one of the most important things for him to do is, yeah, Scolzi, Phil Neville, Buddy in behind him. But I think he would need an experienced person who's been in there, done it before, as a manager and everything, just to help them along with uh, things outside of picking the team, but just things outside and what goes on in the background of the club. Just finally, Brian, on Twitter, you're being asked this a lot. Who do you think and what is the best option for Manchester United manager now? I wouldn't go along the lines of speculating because there's so many people are going to come up. But I think United have, have really got two options. They either go for a real experienced manager who's been at the top clubs and done it before, or they do give Ryan a chance. And I don't think they'll go too far wrong if they do give Ryan a chance to prove himself. Brian, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Ed. Thanks, Nigel. Well, let's hear from the two goal scorers on Sunday, Wayne Rooney and Juan Mata, talking about their new manager. We all know Giggs, he's a really experienced player and being part of the coaching staff for the season, he's built for it to be a manager. I think us as a team, we can see that. We can see by how he's handled himself since he's, he's took over. So um, it was fantastic to obviously get out there and get the, the win for him. I think Giggs, he's got all the credentials to, to be the next boss, but that's down to the board, it's down to Giggs, and, you know, who knows. Well, for me, it's a pleasure to play under, under his manager. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember him playing. Uh, he's a proper Man United boy. He was born almost in here. And, and I think for Wasa, for me, for all the players, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with him in the, in the training round in every game. But it's not down to us, the decision. Uh, what we have to do is now enjoy with him until the end of the season uh, so far. So an endorsement for Ryan Giggs from both those two, Nigel. And, and to pick up on what you said to Brian Robson, if he was to win the last three fixtures, Sunderland at home, Hull at home 
and then Southampton away, could Ryan Giggs be too good to ignore as Manchester United manager? Yes, he could be, but I agree with Brian that he would need an experienced person to work alongside him because you get a lot of problems at football clubs. You've seen it now with the players' egos, uh, everything that goes on outside of match day. That's where you need someone with that experience to give you the advice how to deal with those players. But my worry is that as if Ryan wins these four games... And the owners then don't want him to be the manager but want to keep him involved in the backroom staff. Are they going to get that experienced manager that they want to say, well, I'll come in and work, but I'll keep Ryan Giggs alongside me? If they can't get that experienced manager because they won't work with Ryan Giggs, because they want to bring in all their backroom staff, then I think it makes his position, Ryan Giggs' position, even stronger. And they may go with that for a season. And those experienced managers that are being linked, Van Hal's the favourite, Ancelotti, Klopp and others... Which route do you think they will go? I still believe that the perfect scenario would be that they go with the experienced manager, whichever manager they choose, and then they bring Ryan in to be the assistant manager so that he's working alongside, so he's looking at the training methods. But he can also tell that manager at times as well, this is what we really expect from Manchester United. But then you've got that experienced manager where his understudy that's only been manager for four games is telling you something about the history of Manchester United. I, I just think that that would be the perfect combination in time for Ryan Giggs, if he wants to, and it looks as if he wants to, to go ahead and then take complete control of Manchester United. A fascinating few weeks ahead for Manchester United. A word on Norwich, who went down to their fifth successive defeat and drop into the dreaded bottom three. Manager Neil Adams feels survival is still possible for his players. You know, I say overall today's performance, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't what we've delivered in the other two games, but we're still above the line. Um, there's still two games to go, and what we can't do now is, uh, is, is beat ourselves up and think then, you know, we're in big trouble. Uh, of course, we're in a situation, we know that, uh, but there's two games that we're capable of getting something from, albeit it's hard to say that after the second half performance today, uh, but there's two games we've got to believe in ourselves and go down there and give everything we've got. Well, they were above the line on Saturday, below it on Sunday, dropping into the bottom three for the first time since November. 32 points, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home. What chance have they got, Nigel? I think you need to take a deep breath and somehow make those players believe that they can pick up points. Chelsea away is going to be extremely difficult. Now, Arsenal at home have already got Champions League football with the cup final coming up. Will they rest a couple of their players? That may then give Norwich the advantage in, in this game. But Arsenal have also got players coming back from injury who will also want to get 100% fit for the cup final. But it could be a very interesting twist. At the Emirates, Arsenal took a big step towards qualifying for the Champions League next season by cruising past an out-of-sorts Newcastle side 3-0. Mesut Ozil recapturing form with a goal and an assist on Monday night. His manager, Arsene Wenger, has never doubted his class. Well, uh, since he's getting stronger in every game now and uh, he's refreshed and mentally sharp to play, so that's why his performance is good. What he has brought is his fantastic technique, the simplicity of his game, intelligence of his passing. Uh, you look at his numbers, you know, his assists, his passes in the final third are very good. We uh, want some more goals from him. I think that will come naturally. And he thinks it'll come next season, Arsene Wenger, from what he's been saying with Meza Ozil. Do you agree with him? He came to Arsenal. He was in scintillating form to start with. His form dropped. But when I was watching him, I love watching the way that he takes control of the football. 
And people, I think, were overcritical of him simply because of the price tag that was paid by Arsenal Football Club. I know Arsenal have been doing a lot of conditioning work with him, which will make him stronger for next season. But also, he'll now get to understand what the top fight football in England is all about. They've got West Brom at home on Sunday, win that, and they're in the Champions League next season. After that, they've got the Norwich game. Any chance of a slip-up? I don't think so, no. I just see Arsenal at home. They've been so, so consistent this season that they'll win that game. Yeah, they haven't been beaten at home in the league since the opening day against Aston Villa. What a contrast, though, for Newcastle. This was their sixth defeat in a row, and manager Alan Pardew knows recent performances have not been good enough, but he remains upbeat. I think it's important if you're going to lead a group to, to be strong, and uh, I know that I've got the greatest support in the country, but not when you've got six defeats next to your name. So, you, you know, we've got to earn that right. And I know that um, our fans will turn up Saturday, hopefully make the stadium positive for us because uh, the players, uh, they need a bit of confidence from our own support. If we can get that, get that win under our belt and things will look a little bit rosier. We've been in the top 10 all year and we intend to stay there. So he talked about being positive inside the stadium. Cardiff at home is the game. You saw the negativity, Nigel, at the Emirates. How important that they win that final home game before the summer they've got ahead of them? Well, I think what they have to do is not only win the game, but they have to put in a strong performance right from the first minute. I just don't know what's happening at Newcastle United, but the one thing they do need to do is put in a really powerful performance at home. They're ninth in the table. They finished the season at Anfield against Liverpool. What an important game that could be. Now then, on to St Mary's. Everton are now four points behind Arsenal in the race for fourth after going down 2-0 at Southampton on Saturday. Two own goals, Alcaraz and Seamus Coleman. I'm not sure you're necessarily the man to ask this, Nigel. Probably should ask Jamie Carragher. But have you ever known a game decided by two own goals before? I haven't, no, but absolutely um, incredible. But good own goals as well. I mean, Good headers, uh, weren't they? Fantastic headers. I mean, it just shows when you have to move around your back four how it can unstabilise you. Southampton at home are a difficult team to beat as well. Let's hear from Everton manager Roberto Martinez. It's a tough ask now, but he still believes his team can get that lucrative fourth place. For us, it doesn't change. Uh, the same way that after beating Manchester United last week, it didn't mean we were going to get into the top four. Now it's exactly the same. Eight wins or 24 points out of 30 is a phenomenal run and we're going to give everything we got for the next six. So Saturday evening, it's Manchester City at home. They finish at Hull. They've got injury concerns. Gareth Barry not able to play against Manchester City. Is the message when you're in a position like this, Nigel, is let's do our job. Let's keep the pressure on as best we can and see what else happens. If you're playing before the opposition in terms of you want to try and squeeze them, close the gap or jump ahead of them, then Everton, quite simply, have to win this game. This is an extremely difficult fixture, but I don't see it ending in a draw. For Southampton... Whatever happens, it's been a, an excellent season. It was their first win in four matches at the weekend. They're eighth and comfortable in the table, 52 points. That equals their best points haul in a 38-game Barclays Premier League season. But now, Nigel, for Southampton Football Club, is it all about the summer for them and the futures of your Luke Shaws, your Adam Lalanas, and, of course, the manager as well, Mr Pochettino? They need to make sure that the manager's staying and then they'll have to deal with um, the two players that are being heavily linked with a move away from Southampton, is Shaw and Lalana. If you look at that, Lalana's 25, so it's slightly different, but Shaw is 18. So would it be right at 18? Does he think that his development 
would improve more if he stayed at Southampton for another season, for another two seasons? Or would it be better if he went to a top club where he would be scrutinised a lot more as What's well? What's the answer to that question in your eyes? I think he'll find it very, very difficult not to join one of the top teams. I know when I was at Wimbledon and Chelsea and Arsenal came calling, it was impossible for me to turn it down, but I was, I was at a small club like Wimbledon where Southampton is not a small team. No, he's still playing in the Barclays Premier League. He should speak to you. It's a former great left-back yourself. Uh, now then, coming up, we'll talk to a recently retired Barclays Premier League legend. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm here with the former Arsenal defender, Nigel Winterburn. Shortly, we'll be focusing on what's proving to be a fascinating relegation battle. But first, a quick word on the PFA Player of the Year awards that took place in London on Sunday evening. The big winners were Liverpool striker Luis Suarez, who picked up the PFA Player of the Year award, and Chelsea midfielder Eden Hazard, who scooped the Young Player of the Year award. Let's hear from both men now. First, the man who scored an incredible 30 goals in just 34 appearances this season, Luis Suarez. Of course, it's, it's important, and I am so happy with this prize because uh, you work really good for the whole the season for the to take one prize for yourself. But I think it's more important the prize importance for the for the teammates. It's good recognized in the in the Premier League because you hold the game, you try for the help of your team. No, it's good. I make the good season this season, but. Uh... I just want to say thank you for my teammates, the staff at Chelsea FC and the, the fans as well. Luis Suarez then, Nigel, would he have got your vote? Definitely. He's an absolutely amazing football player. Let's forget about his antics at times and just look at his individual ability. He's a team player as well. When you talk about needing players in your team, that can individually change a game. He's a player who can do that. As a defender, when he gets turned and running at you, it's an absolute nightmare because he can go inside, he can go outside, and he scores goals from incredible angles. Does the, the, the winner of the Young Player of the Year award fall into that exactly the same category? You talk about a player who causes that damage and can grab a big game by the scrap of the net. Is Eden Hazard in that category now? I think he is. I mean, uh, you know, when I've seen him play in, in the wide areas, but drifting inside, comfortable taking the ball, but when he gets the same sort of thing, when he gets running with the football, he's so hard to knock off the ball, but his ability to shift the ball, move it to different angles so that he protects it from the defender, see him again, the worthy winner of this title. Amazing thing, Hazard's 23 and he's already played 42 times for his country, Belgium. And, and when you look to the team of the year, particularly... People didn't seem to have any any issues with the attacking players and, and the midfield in the team. But at the back, Nigel, did you agree with company was there, Shaw at left back? In a way, I agreed with it. If there was one surprise for me, it was John Terry. Because I think John Terry has been the outstanding centre-half of this season. Could you leave out company or could you leave out Cahill? So it's just preference, isn't it? Yeah, Gary Cahill, part of a Chelsea defence, the best in the Barclays Premier League. They've only conceded 26 goals. Time now, though, to turn our attention to life at the bottom end of the Barclays Premier League table, where, at the Stadium of Light on Sunday, Sunderland continued their recent resurgence with a comprehensive 4-0 victory over fellow strugglers Cardiff. It got them out of the bottom three. What a time, Nigel, to produce your first home win since January, your biggest win since September 2011 in the Barclays Premier League. Talk about timing. Came off the back of two terrific performances against two top teams. 
And I think now that Gus Poyet will believe in that his team will stay up. Yes, it's an amazing turnaround. Sunderland unbeaten in three. And their key man has been young striker Connor Wickham, who scored five goals in his last three games. Let's hear from the young Sunderland frontman, who's delighted to be back in the team and scoring goals. Over the moon. And I can't ask for much more. The manager's given me the opportunity to play on the pitch and he's given me the time that I've always asked for and hopefully I'm repaying the faith that he's put in me in the past few weeks. I've got a good set of fans and we've got a good set of players in the dressing room that are creating a lot of chances. So, you know, we're always going to go into every game positive. And as I said last week and the last few weeks, we've got fighters in the dressing room. We're not going to go down. So, you know, that, that's what it is, determination and grit and we've shown on the pitch. Well, I'm pleased to say we're joined now by another prolific Sunderland frontman. Kevin Phillips scored 116 goals in 211 league games for the Mackhams. Welcome to the show, Kevin Phillips. Hi, guys. You're right. Very good indeed. Thanks, Kevin. Now, we'll talk about your former club in a moment. But, of course, you announced this week you're to retire from football at the end of the season. You've helped Leicester City gain promotion to the Barclays Premier League. Therefore, how tough a decision was this? Yeah, it's always tough, you know, when you cause an end to a long career. And, you know, I don't know anything else bar than kicking that piece of leather around the football pitch. So to finally say that's all over, yeah, it's a bit of a wrench. But if I'm being honest, I've been thinking about it for a while. I contemplated retiring at the end of last season, but the lure of the Premier League at Palace was too much to turn down and then the chance to come to Leicester to help them back to the Premier League. And now I just feel it's the right time. We've got lots of Twitter questions for you, as you can imagine. Start with this one from at M, who's asking what your role's going to be at Leicester now. I haven't really gone into any detail with Nigel Pearson, but there's a position there that's been offered to come onto the first team coaching role. And I assume just really to be there for my experience, to bounce things off and, and try and help the young strikers, the likes of Vardy, Chris Woods, try and help them because we all know that the Premier League is a tough league and we're going to need every bit of help we can. So if I can help them score goals, then that would be great. And you've been promoted to the Barclays Premier League an incredible five times. Some achievements, Sunderland, West Brom, Birmingham Palace and now Leicester. Any particular one of those promotions stand out for you, Kev? Well, obviously the first one was a major thing at Sunderland, having lost in the playoff the year before in an unbelievable game at Wembley. So the first one's always, I wouldn't say it's the best one, but it's a great feeling. They've all been great. The one at Wembley, that everyone said that the best way to go up is winning in a playoff final, and I'd lost three of them, so I didn't believe anyone. But last year, I can agree with them. You know, It's an amazing way to go up. But also this year, you know, having clinched it so early, and then to go on and clinch the title two or three weeks later, it's been great. So... I suppose, you know, the ones that come late on in your career, you cherish them a little bit more as well. Another Twitter question for you. At Ingram Juve wants to know, and I imagine you get asked this quite a lot, which is your favourite goal you've scored of all time? I've scored some very important ones in my career, but I would say my favourite one, just for the distance of the goal against the team that it was, it was against Chelsea at the Stadium of Light when we won 4-0, I got 2 and Quinny got 2. We got battered down there first game of the season, 4-0, and it was nice when they came back to the stadium and I, that we played them. And, you know, I scored a cracking 25-yard volley. That, for me, is probably my best goal that I've scored. I don't think people will be too surprised by that. Brilliant goal. No. Which, <laughs> which was the toughest defender you played against? Well, I would have to say Martin Keown. They called him the rash. Because wherever, <laughs> wherever you went, he was over you. He was a... He was a difficult opponent to play against. He certainly was one of those when I knew he was coming up against Arsenal. I'm in for a tough game today. or I'm going to try and keep away from Martin Keown. But ultimately, at some point, you're going to come across him and you're going to feel you've come across him. He's a good fella. I played with him in my England days. and When I played against him, he certainly was a toughie. Let's talk Sunderland. We've been talking about them a few moments ago. You scored 116 league goals for them, of course. What did you make of their win over Cardiff at the weekend and the momentum it will give them? I'm delighted. I'm delighted for everyone connected with a football club because, you know, let's face it, and I was one of them. I hold my hands up. 
two or three weeks ago, we all condemned them, doomed them to the championship. But they must have looked at that and just thought, well, the pressure's off. Everyone doesn't give us a chance. Let's go out and play. The result against City and then winning the next game and the demolition of Cardiff at the weekend. I thought Cardiff were poor, but some of them were awesome. With that support that they've got up at the stadium, they've got a game, I think, Manchester United away at the weekend and two home games. I certainly believe that they'll stay in the league. It's a great achievement for the football club and Gus Boyer. And if they can survive, they need to build on that and push on for next season. And I've often heard you say to stay up, you need a goal scorer. And they've suddenly yeah. found that, haven't they, in Connor Wickham, who took some stick when he first came to the club. Then he went away, of course. Now he's scoring goals at a vital time. What have you made of him? And going forward, how good do you think this guy could be? That has been Sunderland's problem. And defensively, they've not been too bad. So can they find that goal scorer? And when Conan Wickham was brought back from loan, it was difficult when he first came to the club. He's a young boy, brought for a big fee, and it must have been difficult. And you're going to the northeast as well, where the pressure's on you straight away. So I'm delighted now to see him reaping you know, his hard work. He's been away, he's learned his trade, he's scored some goals in the championship. Now he's come back to the Premier League. And if he scores a few more goals from now to end of the season, I'm telling him now that he'll go down as a legend there forever. Which he's on target to do, that's for sure. Now, a quick word about Palace. Be honest with me, Kevin Phillips. Did you ever yeah. <laughs> envisage, particularly when you left the club, what's happened since then? Safe, 43 points already. No, if I was being honest, I knew they'd give it a good crack because when Tony Pulis was installed, we all know what kind of manager he is. He gets the best out of his players. He demands, you know, 100% every game. And in the Premier League, if you do that and you couple it with a little bit of luck, a little bit of quality, then you've got a great chance of surviving. But I think they've taken everyone by surprise. They've done exceptionally well. And when Ian Holloway left, Keith Millen took over. He steadied the ship. A couple of great results away at Hull, a win, a draw at home to Everton. Then Tony come in and, you know, and took it on to that next level. So I'm delighted for all the players down there because I know how much that will mean to them and the supporters. And it's great to have Palace back in the Premier. I'm pretty sure a rest in the summer transfer window and you'll see Palace maybe kick on even more next year. The atmosphere there has been amazing yeah. this season. Now then, just finally, Kevin, it all began, what, at Watford, 1994, just the 287 goals since then. The European Golden Boot, of course, you won. If I ask you to name one person who's had a positive influence on your career, it could be a coach, a player, a teacher, who would it be? It might sound a bit, but it's got to be my wife, my family. We were together before I became a professional footballer. Amazingly, we're still together coming out the other side. <laughs> Obviously, I could say coaches, players I play with, but to have your family alongside you through thick and thin, giving you that support when you need it, that's what's kept me going and the kids along the way as well. You know, I thank every coach that I've played for, every manager that has helped me and brought me on. But the biggest thank you has got to go to my wife and my kids for being there for such a long time. Which is a lovely thing to say. Kevin, congratulations on a brilliant career. Good luck for the future. Good luck with the golf swing and everything else. Thanks yeah. for joining us. No problem. Cheers. Nigel, he's been some player, hasn't he? Some servant as well to the Barclays Premier League. Not many teams he hasn't played for. How good a player has he been over the years, Kevin Phillips? Oh, absolutely tremendous player. I think... Uh, when I look at Kevin Phillips, what do I see in a player? He's a goal scorer. I listened to an interview that he had. He said he's almost had to reinvent himself over the last five years because he's used to playing with a strike partner. And now the ethos of a lot of managers is to go with a lone striker. And to do that when you're 35, you know, and then playing through to your 40 is an amazing feat. And uh, it just shows what desire you need to have to continue to play in the top flight. Yeah, an amazing career. Good luck to Kevin Phillips for the future. He was hopeful about Sunderland's immediate future. As for Cardiff, it was a damaging defeat. Dropped them to the foot of the table, two points from safety, 
with just two games remaining. Their manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, is remaining hopeful, though, of survival. We start working again. Uh, you got to prepare. It's two weeks left of the season. We've got to find a way of getting that mentality and that we, we can still do this, and we can. So Solskjaer saying they can still do it. They've got to go to Newcastle. They've got Chelsea at home. Do you think they can do it, Nigel? No, I don't. For me, they simply have to win at Newcastle away to stand any chance of staying up. So Cardiff in deep trouble. Meanwhile, at the Liberty Stadium, Swansea secured their top flight status with an emphatic 4-1 victory over Aston Villa to plunge the Midlanders deep into the relegation mire. They're not safe yet. Swansea will be, Nigel. And did we see from John Joe Shelby a contender for goal of the season? We certainly did. Absolutely amazing goal because um, the way that he chests it down and sets it up to hit, then hit that shot, the flight of the ball, and it actually hits the net in the side netting, was almost perfection. Brilliant goal, whatever happens from John Joe Shelby. And another of Swansea's star performers was striker Wilfred Bonney, who continued his good recent goal-scoring form with another brace. I just want to enjoy that moment with the fans because they, they still support us, even if it's good or bad, they still push us and for the good result. And they are positive, so we need them for everything. We are definitely on the league. We stay on the Premier League, so it's, for us it was very important. What do you think they'll do about the managerial situation? Do you think they might stick with Gary Monk? They may stick with him. It depends on do they already have a replacement lined up? If they haven't got a replacement lined up, then I can see Gary Monk staying on and doing a decent job for them. Swansea, 12th. 39 points, effectively safe. What a contrast, though, for Aston Villa. A fifth defeat in six. They're 16th, just three points above the bottom three. It's been a tough season for their manager, Paul Lambert. Really disappointed to lose, really disappointed, especially we started the game really well. We lose a goal to go 1-0 down, but I thought deservedly we got right back into the game. We had a really good goal, we looked really good. We lost a poor goal, major turning point, the second goal. I thought, great finish, but it was an error from our... Yeah, three three very tough games I've got. As I said, the lads know how big the game is next week. But next week's game is a must-win game. It's a must-win game. The tough games, they finish at Spurs. Before that in the week, they're at Manchester City. But the game he was talking about there, Villa Park at the weekend, Hull. Massive game, Nigel, isn't it? It is a massive game, but we're trying to predict what the other teams around them are going to do. But what Paul Lambert will be saying is, if we beat Hull then we definitely will be staying up. A point, again, could be enough for them. But quite simply, even if they lose the last three games, they might just sneak and stay in the top division. Aston Villa, not safe yet, though. To another relegation candidate next, as Fulham threw away a two-goal lead to draw 2-2 with FA Cup finalist Harlot Craven Cottage. It was a painful result for Fulham manager Felix Magat to take. It was only a point, and today we will have to make three points, not only one, so we are disappointed, sure. Yeah, we have to go on, and yeah, we have to chance to take six points in the next two games. We'll talk about those two games in a moment, Nigel, but how big a sickener is that to take when you're two up, 15 minutes left in Fulham's predicament at the bottom of the table? But at 2-1, you could see the pressure building. You could see that the belief, for me, wasn't there with the players that they could hold on to take the victory 
if they would have been stable defensively, they probably would have already had enough points to stay up. But they've got 31. Those two games they've got left, Stoke away, Crystal Palace at home. And you remember what happened in the 07-08 season, that great escape, that goal on the final day from Danny Murphy. Could we see a repeat? It's an impossible question to answer. Stoke away, Stoke have been very, very consistent this season. They've been stronger at home. And then they go into the uh, Crystal Palace game. Again, I'm believing that they're going to have to take points from both of those games and quite possibly have to win both those games. As for Hull, this could prove to be a crucial point in their bid to secure their Barclays Premier League status for next season. Let's hear from the scorer of that late equaliser on Saturday, Shane Long. After they scored the two, I thought it wasn't going to be our day, but um, you know we dug deep. We were never out of the game. You know, I, I thought we were well on top in the first half, caused them a lot of problems, and um, you know, nil nil at half time, we felt we controlled the game. But uh, to be fair to them, they really had to go second half, went two up. But uh, nice, to, nice to get the equaliser at the end and keeping six points behind us with, with two games left. I think it's a tall order for anyone underneath us to catch us now. But um, you know, we we Villa next, and we look at that game as one where we we can still get three points. And you know, um, I think that pressure is off us. We can go out and enjoy our football now and, and try and finish as high up the league as, as possible. That with the FA Cup final on the horizon. Horizon. And, and Nigel, when you look back at January in the transfer window, with bringing in Long and Jelovic, who both scored again at the weekend, the best bit of business in the Barclays Premier League. Yeah, because up to um, Steve Bruce bringing in these two players, I was looking and thinking, where would their goals come from? Absolutely amazing signings for, for Hull City. It's signings that they needed to make. They're 13th, 37 points. Pretty much there. And to a team that would have loved his equaliser at Craven Cottage, his old team, West Brom, who recorded their first home win under manager Pepe Mel, edging past West Ham 1-0. The Baggies goalkeeper Ben Foster thought it was a good all-round team performance. We defended so well. From here at the back to the to side of assessing on up front, um, we, uh, we we probably could have nicked one or two probably before the end of the game to, to put it to bed. But um, no, we're delighted to get the the three points in the clean sheet. That, the, the main things are three points. It's a, it's a giant step. It is. It was a it was a must win game to be honest with you. You, you know, you, going into the final one or two games of the season, you don't want to be um, you know kind of looking over results and things like that. You want to be you want to be scraping yourself out of it. And we're we're within touching distance now. It was a it was a huge result. You know, massive relief on on all our faces. Yeah, great step, he says. A big relief. 36 points. They've got three left. Arsenal away on Sunday. Sunderland away. Stoke at home. One more point, Nigel, to make absolutely sure. Yeah, again, they already may have enough points, but one more victory, one more point could quite easily see them stay in this division. What about your old club, West Ham? They should be safe, 37 points. Can you understand why the fans aren't happy, though? Well, when you get a manager in Sam Allardyce, you know the way that he likes to set up his teams. He's very, very well organised. So they should understand the way that West Ham are going to play. I think at times West Ham have played some nice football, but there seems to be a growing anger within the supporters that Sam Allardyce isn't the right man to take them forward. Yet another club where it could be a very interesting summer. Now, rounding off the weekend's fixtures, we go to the Britannia Stadium, where Spurs made it three wins out of four with a battling 1-0 win at Inform Stoke. The unlikely match winner for Tottenham was left-back Danny Rose. I think the defenders helped me out a little bit when he slipped um, just in front of me. Well, it was a good header and uh, I'm over the moon that we've held out for the three points and it's a great win. Yeah, it's uh, very difficult players. I think Manu didn't get much here. Um, Chelsea lost here. Yeah, it's a difficult place and the, the, the game causes a lot of problems here today. The managers told us before the game we've got, we had three games left that he thinks that we should be winning and uh, we've got two more left now and we're looking forward to West Ham away next weekend. 
Now, a game, Nigel, which seemed to hinge on a player staying on the pitch and one going off. Let's start with the goal scorer. Was he lucky to stay on the pitch? Possibly so. I mean, he also lost his composure, didn't he? But what Tim Sherwood did by bringing him away from the field of play and then sending him to the dressing room was good management because you diffused the situation. I think I have to give credit to Tim Sherwood for doing that, first of all. And he he did get a lovely goal, nice-headed goal from... uh, from a left-back as well. That's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, not many left-backs do that, do they, Nigel? His first league goal as well. What about Stoke? They went down to just their third home defeat all season. They've been so good at the Britannia, and this one was the Ryan Shawcross sending off the key moment. Well, it was a sending off, wasn't it? As the referee saw it, he committed two offences that were yellow cards and quite simply had to be sent off. You know, I have no problem with the referee there. Stoke 10th in the table, 44 points. They have actually got Newcastle, who are ninth in their sights uh, before the end of the season. Now, before we go, let's take a look at this weekend's crucial set of Barclays Premier League fixtures, the penultimate week of the season. Still so much to play for at the top and bottom of the league. It all starts on Saturday. The early kickoff is West Ham against Spurs at three o'clock. That big game at Villa Park. It's going to be nervy. Aston Villa against Hull. Ryan Giggs and Manchester United play in form. Sunderland, Newcastle up against Cardiff, who have to win that game. At the Britannia, it's Stoke against Fulham another side on the road at the bottom Swansea play Southampton the big one in the evening Everton up against Manchester City with Chelsea and Liverpool looking on they're still to play at the weekend on Sunday the earlier kickoff 1.30 Arsenal against West Brom then Chelsea play Norwich rounding off the weekend Crystal Palace against Liverpool who could go into that game third in the Barclays Premier League table. There's more in the week as well on Tuesday, that's May the 6th, Manchester United play Hull, and then on the Wednesday, Sunderland against West Brom, Manchester City play Aston Villa. Now then, Nigel, particularly the weekend coming up, what stands out for you? Everton against Manchester City. For obvious reasons, City going, Manchester City going for the title, but Everton, could they hand the initiative back to Liverpool? Fantastic. So much to look forward to and that's just about all we have time for on this week's show before we go just to let you know about the new Barclays Football Thank You Days initiative for all the grassroots teams who soldiered on during months of weather affected fixture changes Barclays are saying thank you by offering 16 amateur teams the chance to play at one of eight Barclays Premier League stadiums Every amateur player has dreamt of scoring at the home of their team. And now you can by simply telling us why your grassroots football team deserves the chance. Were your fixtures cancelled for three months? Did you have to travel miles away to find a pitch? Or do you simply go above and beyond in the local community? Get in touch with your stories. The two teams selected will take part in a once-in-a-lifetime matchday experience and walk in the footsteps of their Barclays Premier League heroes. To enter, just go to the Barclays Football Facebook page and the Thank You Days section on the site. Good luck. So, Nigel, as a kid, you must have played on your fair share of dodgy pitches. Plenty of them. I bet. Because you have to remember that uh, when I was 16, I was still playing Saturday Village football in the Midlands in the Coventry League. As you can just imagine what some of those pitches were like as a 16-year-old, as a 6-year-old, as a 60-year-old. To play on those pitches now would absolutely be a pleasure. 
Yeah, they are absolutely fantastic. As I say, good luck if you are getting involved. My thanks to Nigel for his company uh, on the podcast. And don't forget to have a go at this week's trivia teaser. Now, Iranian winger Ashtan Dejaga is leading Fulham's bid for survival and scored his fifth league goal of the season against Hull last weekend. But can you name the only other two Iranians to have played in the Barclays Premier League? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we'll reveal it on the site later in the week. We'll be back next week to analyse what may well be a decisive week at the top and bottom of the table, including tough away fixtures for the bottom four clubs and, of course, the key encounter between Everton and Manchester City at Goodison Park. But until then, from Nigel Winsburn and myself, Ed Chamberlain, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. Barclays.